Hey everybody, welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner, the illustrious Ed Condon. Ed, what does it mean to be illustrious? Why do you go by that? Um, I, I think it has something to do with having a, a full and thick head of hair. I think that might be right. I don't actually know, so we're just going to go with that. Well-known, respected, and admired for past... Well-known, respected, and admired for past achievements. Okay. <laughs> Being illustrious makes it sound like your best days are behind you, which I don't think is true of you. I think your best days, Ed, and I've said this before and I mean it, I think your best days are firmly firmly affixed ahead of you. One has to hope. Mm-hmm. Dare we, though. If I, Dare if we. I've, yeah, if I've peaked, then this has all been a crushing disappointment. <laughs> oh, no, you're doing great. Okay, listen, we have a lot to talk about on this week's episode of the Pillar Podcast, kind of. Last week, we had an episode that was uh, a, a serious conversation. We had a serious conversation about our serious existential crisis. We talked about the fact that we were looking at various doctrinal challenges going on in the life of the church, at various doctrinal debates and disagreements going on in the life of the church, and that those things were making us verklempt. And uh, so we had a discussion about it on the show. And um, we got, there were some people who wrote to us and basically said, uh, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and make a more positive show. My dad called to ask if you were okay, um, which was very kind of him. Uh, We got a few um, bits of feedback on the show saying, you know, that sort of wasn't our best show and things like that. And uh, and that's fine. But but what I want to highlight is that how many people reached out to us to say very kind and encouraging things about the show that we're making and even to express gratitude for a show in which we expressed our sort of being flummoxed about precisely how to do the podcast in a time of considerable theological trial and um, the challenges that are incumbent in doing that that we have uh, experienced. And I was just, I don't know about you, Ed, but I thought that was really, really cool. Thanks, listeners. Um, yeah, yeah. I was, I you know, I, I was a little down during the show last week and... Um... I didn't want to discuss many of the things that we were discussing. You were down about the things that we were discussing and you just didn't want to talk about it. Exactly. And, and people were genuinely on the whole, uh, really very kind, really very genuine. And those who weren't, I kind of appreciate that. Well, those who weren't kind, but who were genuine, I kind of appreciate that too, because I'm glad for any, I think what I'm trying to say is I just like when people engage with what we have to say here. I think that's cool. And I was really glad to hear from people. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, you know, part of, um, Part of what makes the show enjoyable for me to make is 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 the genuine sense. I mean, it's I, I know it's part of like sort of podcasting one hundred and one or whatever that you talk about community and you talk about. This. But I mean, is there I, a podcasting one hundred and one? This is the only podcast that I know about. I feel like there is received wisdom in podcasting. Oh. Yes. Um, and and I do genuinely feel though in in our case that you know I know some of the listeners. I have come to know some of the listeners who've been you know part of the show for years and and i like it when people you know email us or dm us or, or whatever and uh, give us their feedback it, it it means a lot to me because otherwise you feel like you're just sitting at your desk and wasting an hour that could otherwise be productively spent turning out some copy and and i really do feel like it's part of a conversation i mean yeah it's us talking to each other whatever but you know there is a wider conversation around the show that is real and and i appreciate that it it, it keeps the show alive it keeps the show going for me because otherwise if it was just the two of us sort of you know constantly talking well i i don't need to do that into a microphone I can, we can just talk we're talking all the time yeah well i think the cool thing was um i you know i think one of the things we said is like look 
there are uh, there's a there's a doctor the significant doctrinal challenge going on in the life of the church right now a significant doctrinal debate and um, and uh, divide going on in the life of the church right now I mean for goodness sake the German synodal path voted today on a referendum which would approve liturgical blessings of same sex couples despite a, a clarification from the congregation for the doctrine of the faith you know not two years ago saying that that was verboten so there's a there's like these clear and obvious doctrinal, significant doctrinal debates going on that are encompassing more and more of the leadership class of the church. And um, and I think that's hard for a lot of people. I mean, one of the things I, I, I realized as people responded to the show is like, yeah, a lot of people are saying like, yeah, this is this can be discouraging and can be difficult to, to navigate, navigate this can be difficult. And there's an element, I think, of scandal that comes from the kind of doctrinal debate that is going on, or at least for some people, it can be scandalizing. And many people, I think, wrote to us and said, hey, we have a challenge with navigating our desire to be uh, faithful sons and daughters of the church, faithful members of the Christian communion while all of this is going on. And we're grateful to hear your own sort of experience of that as well. So that was cool, wasn't it? It was very cool. And and like I said, I I appreciate it. It means it means I don't I I don't like feelings, JD. Um, but it gave me feelings, and they weren't entirely. And, you know, I'm, I'm for that. Thank you for writing to us, and thank you for. Uh, I think what I was trying to say is that his heart grew three sizes this week. Uh, we've had a pretty good week of like reporting. Well, hang on, good. don't wait, wait a moment. I I'm not a Grinch. I can be accused of many things. <laughs> no, you're I, not. Yeah. What is that hat that you have? It does say cynical grump on it, but I mean, I... <laughs> because you were called some newspaper called you a cynical grump a few years ago, right? I mean, that was ridiculous. I don't. Yeah, but that doesn't make it true. The same newspaper said I was from New Jersey. And, you know, they had to apologize and retract. I... <laughs> Tomorrow's news today. Sloppy journalistic standards aren't. You know, you can't just read. You can't just believe cynical everything you read. Cynical in darkness, I suppose. Um, but uh, we're we've we have had a pretty low key week of doing some news reporting, and I think that some of those things have some of those debates abate. But we have uh, I think got some news reporting that we're working on related to it, and just doing the ordinary work of the church, the Vatican trial, all of those things. But we're not really going to talk about any of them because Ed, if I had um, opened this show correctly, uh, as opposed to the way that I did open it, I kind of forgot. But if I had opened this episode of the Pillar Podcast correctly, then what I would have said probably to everyone is, uh, top of the morning to you and welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast of great Catholic conversation each and every week for each and every one of you lovelies. Because this is kind of our um, St. Patrick's Day. If we had a St. Patrick's Day episode, this would kind of be it, wouldn't it? I, I suppose so, because next week's episode will drop on St. Patrick's Day. So Yeah, people want to talk about St. Patrick's Day ahead of, ahead of St. Patrick's Day. Okay, so uh, next Friday is the Feast of St. Patrick, and uh, lots of people have been asking us kind of questions about that, and uh, you'll see lots of conversation going on, because next Friday, in addition to being the Feast of St. Patrick, is also what, Ed? It's also Friday in Lent. The third Friday, is it the third Friday in Lent? I believe it to be the third Friday in Lent, because the subsequent day is the fourth Sunday of Lent. Yes, that's Mothering correct. Sunday, for those of you that's who know. Right. And Mothering Sunday is the time when you should go and visit the Church of Your Baptism if you can. You should make a little private personal pilgrimage. It's delightful. That's right. I can't okay. do it, but, you know. Yeah, you'd have to go all the way to England. No, that's a silly thing to say. I can't make a pilgrimage to the Church of My Baptist because I wasn't baptized in a church. Well, you weren't? No, I had an incredibly illicit baptism, J.D. I learned this when I wanted to, I, I learned this when I um, wanted to get married, and then later I learned exactly how illicit it was when I became a canon lawyer. I was. Well, I want to I, learn this. None of us know it. T- set us up. Tell us. I was the baptized tale. Tell us the tale. in violation of virtually every canonical norm in existence around baptism. Okay, so you were born on a stormy night. You were born on a. I was stormy actually born in the middle. In this, this a stormy spring night in nineteen. 19- if I remember correctly, I was born. 
uh, and in fact, in the middle of a blizzard, that is true to say, um, in the great city of Chicago proper. And I was baptized a period of time later. I don't exactly know how long. Um, and no one recalls exactly. Recollections may vary. But uh, the general feeling was that I was baptized about three months later. Um, seems to be the accepted figure, possibly two months later. But again, recollections may vary. In the and, blizzard on you, the night of your birth, I don't know if you know this, but I just did a little bit of looking. On the blizzard on the night of your birth, um, 18.5 inches of snow fell, identical to the entire amount of snowfall in the city of Chicago that had, you know, that, uh, to that point that winter. Did you know that? Uh, no, I knew it was a very, I mean, I remember it being a very snowy night. So that's why you weren't baptized just because of the snow. Your parents couldn't get out? No, I wasn't baptized um, quam primum, as the code would, would recommend, uh, because the desire was for my great-grandparents to observe my baptism to be there present and they did not live. as witnesses as 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 witnesses as baptismal who the pastors? heck knows jd i didn't know i, I was an infant uh, no one consulted me no one said these was are the, the desire for your great-grandfather and great-grandmother to be your the sponsors of your baptism no it was then permitted okay no. i my desire as you probably know is to be the sponsor of your daughter's baptism but i wasn't asked that's true you were not um, <laughs> I, I think we are sufficiently enmeshed uh, don't it's true. It's true. Yes, I do. <laughs> anyway, so I um, my baptism took place at a at a non recorded distance of time after my birth, several states away where lived my great grandparents, and um, in the place of my mother's birth and childhood, and the the priest of the local parish. I say local parish. I use the term loosely. I do not believe it is the territorial parish, although. That could be no longer a, ne- the case. a nearby priest, effectively. A nearby priest who has known my family and my and my mother and her parents and my great grandparents for the whole of his priesthood, effectively, and was very close to uh, my mother's family, uh, administered baptism to me. But he administered in the drawing room of my great grandparents' house. Really? Yes. Were you in danger of death? No, I was a very healthy baby, as by all accounts. Dear- great-grandparents live in a sacred space in a parish church? Do your great-grandparents live in a... Are they church mice? And are your great-grandparents some sort of church mice? No, no. Um, I mean, as near as I can recall, uh, it was a nice house. But it wasn't the rectory. Your great-grandfather wasn't the pastor and your great-grandmother... No. I no. don't know. Were, were they Eastern Catholics? Are you Eastern Catholic? No, no. Pretty double-dyed-in-the-wool Latin. I'm just trying to parse all this out. Well, I, I, I encourage you not to try and parse it out. I encourage you to just sort of count on your fingers the ways in which my baptism was illicit as hell. Because was it, it was. recorded? Huh. And here we come to the fun part, which I didn't discover until I came to be married. It was not. No. I promise you. I called the, the parish to which the priest who administered baptism was then assigned as parochial vicar. I said, hello, my name is. <laughs> and I said, I, I was, I was baptized, um, by father. And I know it happened in this year of 19. 19- and I know he recorded it in the parish, but it was kind of funny because I was baptized in my great-grandparents' house. But anyway, I need a copy of my baptismal certificate. I'm not exactly sure what the day of the baptism was, but 
you know, if, uh, if I could get a copy, that would be great. I know it was in that year. I know it was in this half of the year. So please. And thank you. And I, I needed this to get married. I needed this to present to the parish, my parish church in London to, to demonstrate freedom to marry. You hadn't needed it by the way for confirmation. I did. I did need it for confirmation, but I guess, I mean, I didn't, I don't, um, I wasn't as meticulous in my paperwork in my teenage years. And I think what basically happened was our local pastor uh, there just said, oh, whatever. It's fine. I'm sure it's fine. And, you know, didn't it, one wasn't okay. presented and no one asked. Okay. Um, so anyway, I got a I got an email back uh, saying there is no record of your baptism. There is no record of anyone of your name being baptized in this parish uh, for three years, either side of the year you gave. Sorry, can't help. No record of any baptism for three years is a much bigger problem, it sounds like. No no record of anyone of my name. Ah, I see. My, my, my misunderstanding. Yes. And so this, this alarmed me. Mercifully, the pastor of that parish, at the time I was making this request in the year I was getting married, was also an old friend of my mother's family who had known my mother um, when she was much younger, had known me at various times growing up and visiting, and knew my grandparents and knew my great-grandparents, and knew the priest in question who had performed the baptism, uh, who had since deceased. And so I I called up, and I said, Father, um, you probably don't remember me, but I'm son. Um, and here's here's what happened, and here's what I was told by your, by your parish secretary. And he responded, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Don't worry about it. So I have effectively a best guesstimate date written down on the baptismal certificate I was furnished by the parish of my, or the, the supposed parish of my baptism. Um, but while a photo exists of the event, so there is no doubt that the baptism took place, uh, or the location in which it took place, or indeed at least a critical mass of the practical, if not legal, witnesses present, um, the exact day is a, is a legal fiction as is the parish of record. And so I cannot go to the church of my baptism. And including to that, the actual parish of all this concern has since been, I believe, parish church has since been um, merged. So I'm, you know, like the, the, the wheels within wheels that prevent me from making a Mothering Sunday pilgrimage are, are multi. Wow. So, okay, so just, did you have to, you, you said the priest was an old friend of your mother's family, but... Um, did your mother have to make a formal um, declaration? Canon 876 obviously comes into play here, right? To prove the conferral of baptism of prejudicial to no one, the declaration of one witness beyond all exception is sufficient, or the oath of the one baptized if the person received baptism as an adult. You were not an adult at the time of the baptism. Um, which, by the way, do you know the age of adulthood for purposes of the law regarding baptism? Is it 14? Seven. Seven. Oh, it is. Okay. Only uh, ba- the baptismal laws well, are Fourteen is ritual ascription, isn't it? Fourteen is ritual ascription and any number of other things. There are any number of circumstances in which one is an adult for the purposes of the law of 14, but for baptism, one is an adult for the purposes of the law. Actually, even for abstinence and fasting, one is an adult at 14, but for baptism, one is um, an adult at the age of seven. At any rate, you weren't seven. Um, so did your mom have to make a, a, form, a formal declaration? Uh, no, but that was because I was able to furnish a um, documentary proof of the event a video uh no a photograph of priest confer of said priest conferring baptism on infant with mother and father standing there do you have any concern given the obvious laxity of this priest uh, with regard to liturgical law and the time in which this happened the decade in which this happened i.e the 19th are you worried that you were baptized according to a pluralistic form we baptize you i i am not because Neither my grandparents nor my great grandparents um, 
dance to that music. My my maternal forebears are sticklers. They're all lawyers. They they like things done by the book. Circumstances of time and place notwithstanding, I, I think if if it had been the formula with which they were not familiar, they would have said, "Is that is that quite right, Father?" Still, it might be worth looking into whether he has a record of this kind of thing. Well, it might be, but you know, sometimes you got to roll the dice, man. If your baptism was invalid, my marriage is invalid. Well, I'm trying to think about that. Yeah, it's an undispensed disparity yeah, of cult because I'd be a pagan. I would have needed a dispensation to marry an unbaptized person. Yes, that is true. Uh, my marriage would be invalid. My entire life would be a fraud. Um, I would be ineligible to hold ecclesiastical office of any of the kinds that I have held, like judge. Um, and and obviously, I I would uh, I the doors of salvation would be closed unto me. And As that, to the holding of ecclesiastical office. Not all ecclesiastical offices no, are I know, unavailable I know, exactly. to the unbaptized, but yeah, certainly finance that... Officer need, members of the finance council, for example, need to be members of the Christian faithful, but a finance officer I don't think has to be. Yeah. But as to... Um, but to as, be a judge, you must. But yes, but what I'm wondering is there are very limited circumstances in which under circumstances of common error, the church supplies a faculty or prerogative, which it doesn't ordinarily prescribe, and I'm wondering if any of those are relevant. It, I, I don't think so because I would suggest that we go to the law. Code we can go to the law, but my can I make a prediction as you go to the law? Okay. My prediction would be that since I never exercised the power of governance on my own, I was always as a layperson a cooperator, mm-hmm. and the power of governance was exercised by another with whom I was cooperating. My um, my occult ineligibility for office would not have vitiating effects on the act of governance properly placed by the one to whom the governing function properly accrued. Let's say you were the member of a, a member of a collegiate tribunal. We don't have to pretend. I've been a member you of many been collegiate tribunals. You've been the member tribunal. of a collegiate tribunal. And let's say that your vote was the, a determinative vote. You were a member of a turn of three, and one person voted um, negative, and you and another person voted affirmative. Okay, but let me tell you why that wouldn't matter in this case. Okay. Because the act of governance, which is the, the declaration of the sentence, is issued in the name of the judge ponens. Yes. And even if the judge ponens is, let us say, for the sake of argument, a negative vote, and I and the other associate ju- judges were the favorable votes, the ponens is still issuing the affirmative in his name. The opponent is signing it, but as a as a well, we'd have to look at Dignitas Canubi for this. The opponent is signing it, but as a member of the, um, but as, as sort of representative of the turna, it's not the sure, same. Sure, but if I'm invalid, there, then it's still a one-one split. Difference. There's a, right, it is still one-one split, but there is a distinct difference between being um, a sole clerical judge and a turna. So let's say, Ed, for example, uh, let's say for example that the praesas was a cleric. The opponent was a layperson, and you were also a layperson. So you have a turna constituted by one layperson and two clerics. That's okay, right? Yes. Does a layperson have to be a, min- a minority on a turna yes. for a marriage case? The layperson has to be a minority. You need to have two clerics and a layperson. I believe so, yes. Because otherwise you'd have a majority lay governance. It's my understanding. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, I think, that, I think that's right, but I'm not actually looking. But let's say that's the case. Okay, so there's no circumstance. It, it's helpful that you are both the layperson and the unbaptized person in this yes. circumstance. Because if you were a pseudo-cleric and the deciding voter, that would be much, oh, no, much, that would much create more complicated. A much problem. That would create a much... Thank you. I just needed to think through that carefully. Yeah, if you were on a marriage turn, putatively baptized, but in fact not baptized, and putatively a cleric, but 
well, I technically still a cleric, but not ordained. Um, that would cause a question about the validity of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Yes, it would. I don't. Would it be irremediable? No, I don't. No, believe it would be. I don't think it would be. You can you can senate virtually everything in this in in these cases. I, I no, I don't think it'd be irremediable at all. Huh, this is very. <laughs> I don't know if it is for our listeners, but this is super interesting to me. What what I, what's fun about this for me is I know, and I mean, I've had you know when the whole "We Baptize You" scandal broke, and a lot of people were feeling very scrupulous about. Well, I was baptized in this period of time and I was baptized in the kind of place where priests might be the kind of guys who might do this sort of thing. And people were getting very, yeah. very worked up and writing, DMing and emailing us and all sorts of things. Like, what should I do? Should I have myself conditionally baptized? What and my response was, I was like, look, you take a breath. If there is legitimate grounds to suspect that is the priest who baptized you has a track record and, or there are, there is, you know, video footage of him using this invalid formula in other places you know, if you have a real founded a suspicion and probable doubt, yeah, then by all means. But if you don't, then you need to, you know, you need to just take a deep breath, be okay. And and that's where I am. I mean, I, again, I have made such, when I was in Canon Law School and I learned about all this stuff, I made such inquiries as I considered necessary to satisfy myself. And I, they, you know, I can't be absolutely certain because again, of the nine people present apart from me, five are dead. One has deserted the faith and is no longer uh, contactable and three have no distinct memory one way or the other. So, I mean, can't be said for sure, um, without, you know, absolute certainty, but I have satisfied myself that I am quiet of soul in front of this. Well, this is really interesting. Do you know, I think, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show or not, but do you know that in addition to my baptism as an infant, I was, um, invalidly uh, re-baptized as, an, as a young teen by a minister of the Calvary Chapel in the Delaware River. I did not know that, but that, I mean, in the same way that um, perhaps my my backstory, as we've discussed to date, says a little bit about me. I, that does, that does. says a little bit about you. <laughs> it probably does, doesn't I it? Think now, that I'm, now that we're talking about all of this and I, I'm walking it through, I had born in a blizzard and illicitly baptized would make a great country and western song. <laughs> don't, don't you think? No, I don't. You're wrong about that. But I think that if anyone could make it a Johnny country, Cash would make that a song. Johnny Cash, maybe. But if not Johnny Cash, who is Johnny Cash even living? Yes. No, Johnny Cash know? is said Johnny Cash is, That's right. Uh, so since Johnny Cash is not going to write this song, or at least not going to make it available to us, uh, if anyone could write it well, it would be the listeners of this show. I mean, if anyone could make a show, a song about a country song about Ed being born in a blizzard and illicitly baptized, it would be some listener of this show, and I would be very, very keen to hear it. Ah. Uh. I might be keen to hear it. I, I'll, I'll admit the possibility. I don't want to prejudge too much. Well, listen, this is not what we meant to be talking about, but what are we talking about here? All kinds of questions about... This is, this is canon law stuff. No, this is canon law stuff, and it also, it's like um, uh, strange ecclesiastical experiences yeah. and um, uh, um, unusual clerics doing unusual things. Maybe this is exactly the sort of thing we ought to be talking about in our quote-unquote St. Patrick's Day episode. Well, I feel like it's always a good time to talk about weird canon law. It is. It's always a good time to talk about weird canon law, but not right now, actually, because we will be right back after this word from our sponsor. We've had a half a show already, believe it or not. 
Decided Excellence Catholic Media is a print media company that specializes in community and parish magazines. You know, Ed, there are parishes all over the country that have partnered with Decided Excellence Catholic Media to publish their own parish magazines. Parishioners, I'm told, love them. The magazine communicates the good works of the parish, strengthens community, and has even brought parishioners back to Mass. Ed, what does a parish magazine offer that a bulletin or social media presence doesn't? Well, a parish magazine, being an actual physical thing that you could hold in your hand, you can send to 100% of registered parishioners. And you don't have to rely on people picking it up as they leave Mass like you do with a bulletin, and you don't have to worry about it only going to people and people seeing it if they follow the parish on social media. You can you can also you know sort of widen your distribution net. You can make sure it reaches non-registered and non-practicing Catholics who live within the parish boundaries and invite them back into parish life. Um, you know, there's no there's no algorithm to get lost into. Yeah, you don't depend on traffic or retweets or Facebook shares or whatever. You just put it in the mail to people. Exactly. And people like to, I think people like to have something physical to hold and to look at when they're drinking their coffee or whatever. So I, I, I think it's I, quite cool. You know what? Um, we we have had these guys as our sponsor for a couple of weeks now. Decided excellence, and which is awesome. Obviously, they have great taste in podcasts. Awesome. They have, obviously have great taste in podcasts. But also, I mean, I've been thinking about. I mean, because we do, we you know, we read this every week, and you know, we we get into. I I find myself considering the things that you know are sponsoring our show and. I really like the idea of this. I mean, we talk a lot about, I mean, we're in Catholic media, quote unquote. And, you know, we we see the industry changing around us. You know, diocesan newspapers, for example, have been going through an incredibly tough time um, in the last couple of years, losing people, losing jobs, sometimes closing the, the newspapers or magazines entirely. And uh, local media matters. Like local media is important. Local storytelling, yeah, right. look, it's part of the narrative of a community. And if a parish and it is a, is a community, something like an actual parish magazine or newspaper or whatever, um, physical media that is you know distributed, put out that people can hold in their hands, that they can pass around, that they can leave on a coffee table for six months or a year because they like that issue, or whatever. This is part of the physical and social architecture of a community. And that's what Decided Excellence is doing because the mag the cool thing about the magazine is that it, it does feature local stuff. So every magazine features a family from the parish and then it can also highlight like real parish ministries, actual thing that's going on. So it can be actually like informative and everybody likes to read good news and especially good news about things that are happening around them in their own in their own um, community and universe. The parish can produce its own evangelization and catechesis content based upon actual needs or actual things that are happening in the community. And then it can supplement all of that with the stuff from Decided Excellence's own library, articles from Bishop Barron, Scott Hahn, Relevant Radio, much more. So you can have a blend of really good stuff from other places and then at the same time things which are very, very local and specific to the needs and experience and personalities of the parish. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. So here's what they do. Uh, Decided Excellence has an editorial and design team which kind of guides parishes through the publication process each month, so it's not a heavy lift for parish staff. It helps to ensure that the content is professional and attractive. The Decided Excellence production team trains a parish representative, someone who, who works at the parish maybe, or a volunteer, um, someone who's sort of responsible for this ministry to organize content, which is sent to a staff of professional designers and editors. The production team makes sure that the magazine is beautiful, makes sure that it's high in quality, makes sure it's something people are going to like looking at, and that it's right and attuned to the, to the parish. Um, and then uh, it can be sent out. So if you want to learn about this, pastors or parish staffers or people who are 
uh, ascribe to a parish or anyone really, go to decidedexcellence.com, decidedexcellence.com slash parish, decidedexcellence.com slash parish, learn more about it, and uh, and then talk with uh, your pastor, or if you are the pastor, talk with your parish council, talk with who you need to talk with about this, but check it out, decidedexcellence.com slash parish, it's a cool thing, 10 out of 10, recommend. Welcome back, everyone. To the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. Uh, I'm your host, J.D. Flynn, and yeah, I'm joined by Ed Condon in this delightful Catholic conversation we've been having. Hello, Ed. Hi. Am I on NPR now? Yeah, I'm just doing J- an NPR bit there, just kind of doing a thing. Anyway, how you doing? We're back from our commercial break. Hang up. I hate NPR. <laughs> we were going to talk. That whole thing, I don't even know how it happened, um, but that whole thing was sort of a prelude to uh to what we were going to be a, what we were going to talk about we were talking um, about St. Patrick's Day which meant was it third Friday in Lent on the same day which led us to Mother, Mother and Sunday. Sunday parish churches I don't got one Ed story and there we are yeah it's all right okay. people people listening to the show will not know any of that because obviously I'm going to make Kate cut out every single part of that story because I don't want that much personal information on this no so. I think it's great and I hope that won't be the case I'm really I think it's cool okay no, we're going to cut it off Okay. Uh, what we were going to talk about, though, is um, okay. So, uh, can you? What the question that people keep asking us is: uh, St. Patrick's Day is on a Friday in Lent. Can you eat meat? Um, Ed, who is bound to the laws of abstinence on Fridays in Lent in the in these United States? Well, all Catholics who have uh, reached the appropriate age of majority for this are bound. They are bound. This is the law. You, uh, you, you, you know, if you're if you're in the sort of What's the word I'm looking for? If you're in the age range, the applicable age range, then you are covered. And the age range is, of course, defined by the blessed. <laughs> you code. are stalling, man. I am stalling because I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Okay, I had my twelve. I had my cheat sheet. I had my canonical cheat sheet in front of me. I was all ready to go to the law, and and then we're I, going to the law. Doing the one. Absence from meat or some other food as determined by the Episcopal Conference is uh, to be observed on all Fridays unless a solemnity should fall on Friday. Absence and fasting are to be observed on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Our Episcopal Conference, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, in the Index of Complementary Norms says, okay, you are indeed to abstain from meat on all Fridays, but on Fridays, which are not the Fridays of Lent, you can substitute some other penance. So it's salutary to abstain from meat on all Fridays. You are obliged... If you meet the criteria on the Fridays of Lent, and you can yourself make a decision to substitute absence from meat for some other penance on Fridays. But all Catholics are obliged to some penance on Fridays if they live in the United States, according to the Episcopal Conference. All Catholics, you say, but there's, yeah, and also the law of abstinence in Canon Law 1252. 1252. Binds all of those who've completed their 14th year. 14th year. So if you are 14, if you're Catholic and 14 and live in the United States or are subject to the governance of the United States, perhaps you're a member of the Archdiocese of the Military Services or something like that. But if you fall under the jurisdiction of the United States, barring Puerto Rico, which has its own Episcopal Conference, I don't know what the norms are. If you fall under the purview of dioceses, which are members of the USCCB, that might be the way to say it. You are bound to the law of abstinence if you're 14 and older, which means that each Friday of the year, you're bound to abstinence from meat, and but you could substitute some other penance if you desire. But the Fridays of Lent, you can't substitute some other penance if you desire. So the Fridays of Lent, you can't eat meat, Right. Well, unless someone tells you you can't. Say again? Well, this is, this is to be clear, um, this is merely ecclesiastical law. It is indeed. What does that mean? Merely ecclesiastical law, 
for for the the slim minority of listeners to this podcast amongst the ladies and gentlemen at home who don't basically have a JCL now by virtue of listening to this podcast <laughs> over all of these years, uh, merely ecclesiastical law is is defined in contradistinction to divine law. That is either mm-hmm. divine positive laws in God has said or natural law, which is God has created it so, if you like. Merely ecclesiastical law are those laws that the church passes and are still equally binding on on the faithful, but the church promulgates on her own authority. And therefore, the church being the authority that creates the law is the authority which can dispense from the law. And in this case, we have a law pertaining to days of penance, fasting, abstinence, that sort of thing. And there is... Um, as those who have been following other ecclesiastical affairs in recent months will know a general norm in the universal law of the church contained in Canon 87, which reserves to the diocesan bishop, the local ordinary, if you will, um, the general power to dispense from all ecclesiastical laws, particular and universal, provided they are not explicitly reserved to the Holy See. And so far as I'm aware, and again, you know, Cardinal Roach may may wake up tomorrow morning with a different interpretation. We don't know. He's a he's a spontaneous guy. Um, but for the moment, no one disputes that there is no explicit reservation of the dispensation of the church laws on days of fasting and abstinence uh, pertaining to the norms of Canon 87. So diocesan bishops are free and empowered, possessing as they do the power of governance over their diocese and the portion of the people of God allotted to them therein, to dispense from these norms. And the diocese bishop What law has, gives them the prerogative to do that? Or what law affirms their prerogative to do that? Canon 87. Canon 87, very point. Bingo. Yes. Important one, yeah. Okay. And um, the diocese bishop has, uh, if you like, uh, both territorial and personal jurisdiction in this matter. The, the diocese bishop has the authority to dispense all Catholics in the bounds of his diocese. So whether you're traveling through, you're just passing through, you're visiting someone, or... Maybe you like the dispensations being granted over the diocesan boundary. You can you can just hop across, and the diocesan bishop is able to dispense everyone who is in his territory, or the diocesan bishop can dispense all of the Catholics of his diocese wherever they might be. So if you're on vacation and the local bishop um, hates meat or something, uh, or doesn't like St. Patrick's Day and refuses to grant a dispensation, but your home bishop has, you you can still be covered depending on how he phrases it. Now. There is a presumption in the law for the drafting of dispensations. And the presumption is this, that if the bishop says all the Catholics of my diocese and he doesn't go into the detail of their present or personal, wherever they may be, the presumption is he basically means both. Am I right in that, J.D.? Yeah, you are. Yeah. So if you see a diocesan bishop having issued a dispensation for the... um, for the celebration of St. Patrick's Day on the third Friday of Lent, and you say, I'm not sure if he's dispensing all the Catholics in his territory or if he's dispensing all his Catholics wherever they are, you are in that moment of ambiguity safe to assume in line with the presumption of the law that he means both. Yeah, his subjects. Which or is those nice. who are subject to his governance at the moment. Yes, which are his Catholics anywhere in the world and those Catholics. And those who are his diocese. Why do you say it's nuts? I said it's nice. Oh, I said it was nuts. But it no, it's not nuts. It's nice. It's, it's law. It's not nuts. It's beautiful. It's rational. It's right there. It's it's in black and white. You can follow along in God's own Latin. Uh, you know, what's not to love? But, but, some bishops, they aren't making it that simple. 
they aren't simply saying, I like St. Patrick's Day, you like St. Patrick's Day, it's the third Friday of Lent, but I'm dispensing everyone. Instead, they are saying, so I want you to do something else instead. They are basically commuting. And there is nothing I can see in Canon 87 about commuting, J.D. There is nothing. That's very, very true. So some bishops are issuing a dispensation. One bishop I saw issued a decree which said that he was absolving Catholics from the obligation of abstinence on Good Friday. I, I think I it's a particularly St. Patrick's Day way of thinking that abstinence <laughs> is itself a sin from which you need yeah, to be absolved. Right. It'd be a sin was. not to I'm have not the drink. To, I'm not trying to protect him or anything. I just I can't remember who it was, and I didn't you know uh, pull it up or anything. But one bishop did say that he was absolving Catholics in his diocese from the obligation of abstinence. And I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that by absolving them, he meant dispensing them. It's probably what he meant. But anyway, um, okay. But some bishops, and, and some of the bishops who have issued dispensations for from the obligation of abstinence on the third Friday in Lent. Uh, yeah, some of the bishops who have issued dispensations. Oh, no, I think it might be the, I think it might be the fourth Friday in Lent. It doesn't matter what Friday it is. Some bishops who have no, issued... No, it's the fourth Sunday of Lent. We, this is how we got down the rabbit hole in the first half of the it show. It is the fourth Sunday of Lent, but Lent doesn't start on a Sunday. It starts on a Wednesday. Right, but the Sunday... Uh, all right, I'm looking at... Is this up. upcoming We're... Sunday the fourth Sunday of Lent? No, this upcoming is the third Sunday of Lent. Third Sunday of Lent. So then after that, you have the third Monday of Lent, the third Tuesday of Lent, and I'm then... I'm just looking bam, it up. St. Patrick's the Day is the Sunday Friday, the third week of Lent. The third week of Lent, yes. But if the third Sunday... If it's, if that Friday is preceded by the third Sunday in Lent, then you have the, the third oh, Monday Oh, I see what you're Lent, saying. It is, it is Friday Lent, week bam, three of Lent, Friday not Friday week three of Lent, but the fourth Friday of Lent. Hang on. One... Okay. Yeah, because the Friday of Ash Wednesday isn't numbered. Yeah, go ahead and count them. Right. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right. I okay, look. It, this is this is our show. The ridiculous pedantry matter. is no. It does matter. <laughs> it ridiculous does, pedantry does. is the gold standard. We want it is. that. And very honestly, if we had just let it go, oh, people um, would have been furious. Oh, people, the ladies and gentlemen would have been outraged. <laughs> that would have been the end for us. It would have been the end. Okay. Um, some bishops have issued a dispensation. In the context of those dispensations, some bishops have said, I would like Catholics who take advantage of this dispensation, which is to say who eat their corned beef and cabbage or their rare bit or the, well, that's Welsh, or their, their corned beef and cabbage. Rare bit is or cheese on toast, buddy. You don't need yeah, a dispensation. Thank you. Okay. Fine. I don't know what it is. Their corned beef and cabbage or their, um, or their, um, by the way, Welsh rare bit, which I think is appropriate for St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick being a Welshman, um, Welsh rarebit with a little Tabasco sauce is the dessert of champions. Oh, that's Having a savory I, instead of a sweet after I'm I never massive. see you eat a sweet. You don't eat sweet things. It's not my, it's not my bag. Um, but yeah, Welsh rarebit. You've often <laughs> seen me eating a sweet thing, but you don't do it. I avert my eyes. It's, you know, it's, I, I like everyone's allowed their things. You also have seen me <laughs> barrel through, I, I think. Probably a few cartons of Marlboro Reds and, and a bottle or two of bourbon. So I, it's not that I have a... a yeah, no, no, no. I understand. I'm not, I'm not suggesting my thing is inferior. Okay, anyway. If it is true that Catholic... Some bishops have said if you choose to eat corned beef and cabbage or some other kind of Irish thing... A, a, it seems to me that a nice standing beef roast is actually a kind of Irish thing if you could get it. But Well, if you're, and, well hang on. We can go into this later. Sorry. You were going to say if you're lace curtain Irish, maybe. I was going to say Irish cooking is you just boil the crap out of whatever it is. And, but then again, why would you do that? Because St. Patrick's Day celebrations are not Irish. They're American. This is an American holiday. No one disputes this. No one in Ireland disputes this. No one in the church disputes this. If you read the the more infor- historically informed pastoral letters that bishops are putting out along with their decrees to um, 
dispense their subjects from the from the obligatory Friday fast to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, they acknowledge this is an American thing. St. Patrick's Day is not an Irish holiday. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 big old hoot nanny. This is an American holiday. It is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day celebrations, as they are globally perceived now and have been traditionally held in the United States, are Irish in the way that McDonald's is a Scottish restaurant. Like it's just <laughs> not. <laughs> I'm laughing both because it's funny and because I think you've probably said that to me over the course of our association. I don't know. A couple hundred times. Anyway. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the ladies and gentlemen. No, I know. You're talking to the ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So the diocesan bishop, um, some diocesan bishop said, if you're going to avail yourself of the dispensation and if you're going to eat meat on St. Patrick's Day, whatever meat it shall be, um, I would ask you or I would recommend or I would encourage you to make some other penitential sacrifice. I would encourage, ask, or recommend that you... um, Oh, one bishop was very clear. Uh, I would ask Catholics who do this to either go to Mass uh, or to go to adoration or to pray the rosary. So some bishops sort of encouraged a penance. But some bishops told Catholics that if they were to avail themselves of meat on St. Patrick's Day, they ought to, they were, they were to exercise abstinence on some other day during a particular period of time. And, and what, what would that be? What would you call that? Uh, a movable fast as opposed to a movable feast, I suppose. But it's a commutation. It's a commutation. So there's a, there can be a commutation. the of, sentence. They're commuting the sentence, right? There can be a commutation of time. But there could also be um, a commutation of sort of objects. So some bishops said, if you do this, you must observe some other kind of penitential act. Like, in other words, I am, I'm, or not even if you do, but some bishops said, I am not obliging Catholics to abstinence on St. Patrick's Day in our diocese, but I am obliging them to some kind of penance. Is that a kind of commutation? Uh, Yes, I believe so. Okay, I believe so as well. Those things you say are not mentioned in Canon 87. They are not. They are not in the general norm pertaining to the bishop's ordinary and proper power to dispense from universal and particular ecclesiastical law. So where is this madness coming from, J.D.? Great question. Canon 1245 makes some mention of commutation. Without prejudice to the right of the diocesan bishop mentioned in Canon 87 for just cause, and according to the prescripts of the diocesan bishop, a pastor can grant in individual cases a dispensation from the obligation of observing a feast day or a day of penance. Put a pin in that, we're coming back to it. Or a pastor can grant a commutation of the obligation into other pious works. Canon 1245 is permitting a pastor to do one of two things, to either dispense individuals on a case-by-case basis, in a one-on-one basis, from their obligation to observe a day of penance, or to commute it into some other pious work, whether that's some other thing or to another to fasting at another time. Um, and it, what's good for the gosling is good for the goose, I suppose, or good for the gander, which is to say that what a lesser authority can do, a higher authority no, can do. You're, you, that is a disgraceful butchering of the of the turn of phrase, J.D. If you say what is sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, is to say that these two things that are essentially identical can be given identical treatment. A pastor and a bishop are not identical. It's not what I said. I know it's not what you said. I'm saying you're misapplying the... The, the idiom of... I changed the idiom. I said what's good for a gosling is good for a goose because ah. the pastor is the little thing. Because the pastor is the little thing and the, ga- and the JD, gander is the goose. my apologies. I apologize. Unreservedly. Would you agree with me that what's I would true agree for the gosling you. is true for the goose or gander? I would have said what's good for the chicken is good for the swan, but yes, uh, you know. But I think it's more appropriate almost to say what's good for the chick is good for the chicken. 
or what's good for the what's uh, good for pre, the it presupposes that there pullet, is a distinction what's good for the pullet is good for the rooster right but again you're 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 suggesting that all priests grow into bishops and while there are some priests who perhaps might think that's <laughs> the case and that there's no there's no the, the essence jd of of a chick and a chicken is indistinguishable there is i admit a unified sacrament of orders there is only one sacrament of ordination but there is a distinction of quality between a bishop and yeah, a you make a very good point. You make a very very good point. Okay, at any rate, what a lesser authority can do, a higher authority can do. So, if the pastor can commute, so can the diocesan bishop for his subjects, and therefore we can presume that the diocesan bishop can commute a penance precisely because we know that a pastor can do it. That is it. That is a fact. Let's talk more about the pastor dispensing in individual cases. Ed, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's the thing. That that is basically your emergency ripcord. If your diocesan bishop and none of the diocesan bishops round about you are refusing to dispense. Because By the way, if, if the diocesan, if a neighboring diocesan bishop did dispense, like I live in the Archdiocese of Denver, if the Bishop of Colorado Springs were to issue, the Archbishop of Denver has not issued a dispensation for St. Patrick's Day, much to my chagrin. I don't know if he listens to this show, but if he does, he might consider it. But um, I don't live all that far from the Diocese of Colorado Springs. So if the Bishop of Colorado Springs chooses to dispense from the obligation of uh, abstinence on St. Patrick's Day, I could drive to the Diocese of Colorado Springs to eat corned beef, or if I have to drive all the way to Cheyenne, I could do that as well. Yes, I don't. I don't have that problem or that option open to me because it's my understanding that the the three dioceses in the general vicinity uh, in which I live, that being Arlington, the Archdiocese of Washington, the Archdiocese of Baltimore, um, have all issued, I think, dispensations of one kind or another, and are more or less. Um, on equal footing, although I think there is some some exhortation, some difference of exhortation, or in some cases commutation of other things. You, but in general, I think if you live anywhere around the Baltimore Washington area, you're you, you, there's a dispensation of some kind in effect, so you don't need to go mm. to shopping. But if you live in the opposite circumstances, if you live in a a dispensation desert, so to speak, um, and this perhaps, is very important to you. And perhaps you live in a very heavily Polish Catholic area, and mm-hmm. um, and they they're down on the Irish, and they're not going to do this, and they 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 save their dispensations for Saint Faustina Day or whatever it is, um, and they eat their little you know goiza. Uh, that's the Japanese one. I don't know what the Polish one's called, but it's the same thing. Um, then you have the emergency report. You can go to your pastor. There's your proper pastor. That's not just any priest of your acquaintance. It is the pastor of the pastor of your parish of your parish, which, which is to say the your default parish, parish. the territory in which you live, not the place Unless where you get the envelopes. There is from. some particular law in your diocese by which you are permitted to become a member of the par- a, a parishioner of the parish by virtue of registration. But that has to be a real function of particular law in order for the yeah, pastor. That's to not. To oh well, I I get envelopes from there, so therefore I must be. This has to mm-hmm. be your proper pastor in the eyes of canon law is able to dispense you individually, which means one at a time. So father one at a time. If if your whole family wanna, you know, make a brisket that night, as you're leaving Mass on Friday morning, where you're gonna ask Father, possibly, you know, invite him. I don't know. Um, and you're hoping to get an emergency uh, dispensation from him. He's got to dispense Daddy, Mommy, Billy, Jimmy, Jane, Cletus, whoever, right the way down the line, individually. You can't just say the family X are dispensed. It's got to be one by one. And if you're having a party, and some people have St. Patrick's Day parties. Last year, I was invited to a St. Patrick's Day party to which I went, and I had a lovely time. I have not been invited back this year. I don't know. What happened? What did you do? I don't know if the party's not happening. The family in question have moved since then. Not far, but they have moved. Um, 
but uh, I don't know if the party is not happening. I don't know if I have just not been invited, but I have not received an invitation. Although it's funny, I didn't actually receive an invitation last year, but I was assured that I had been invited and there was a whole thing. I actually put it in my newsletter. Neither here nor there. But I have once again not been invited this year, which is sad. Uh, but other people who might be going to parties, and if the, there's not a dispensation in effect um, from your bishop and you want to make sure your party can happen, you could station Father Pastor at the door of your house and he could dispense your guests as they arrive, provided they are his parishioners. That's one way of going about it. Um, so yeah. I think that I think that covers every dispensing base. I do think so as well. I think you're right about that. Great. Would you like to play a game, JD? I would. I, and I want to apologize to you first because I know there was a thing that you wanted to talk about that we didn't. So It's not time sensitive. We'll talk about it next no, week. Rest assured, next week we already have a topic. So barring something happening, um, we'll already have a topic that we need to talk about. We already have the chances that news happens in the next week. <laughs> Slim to know. Or that we feel so obliged to talk about it on our show that we can't talk about the thing we want to talk about. Um, but I do have I do have some some sort of St. Patrick's Day trivia for you, JD. Okay, um, the Great ready. American Holiday. Okay. Uh, and I'm there are okay. Hang on, there's a nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. All right, seventeen. I have I've calculated this right. There's a maximum score of seventeen for this quiz, JD, because of course St. Patrick's Day is March seventeenth. Um. And let's see how oh, many points you can accrue over the course of the What are the questions? Months. Well, we're going to start. Um, James this Daniel. St. Patrick's Day quiz. Da, 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 da. Call me Seamus for the purpose of the quiz. That's James and, I, James and Irish. All right. Um, would you, you please tell it. me? That no, makes you feel undignified. It does make me feel undignified. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. All right. Uh, March 17th is, of course, St. Patrick's Day. Um, JD. Can you tell me how many Catholic cathedrals in the United States are named for St. Patrick? Seven. Seven. Uh, All right. Well, you're saying seven. That's fine. But I would like you to tell me where they are, please. And you'll get one point for each correct cathedral named for St. Patrick. New York, yes. New York. Second New York, correct. You have Old and New. City Nace, they named it twice. Indeed, you've got New York, New York, so that's two. It's a hell of a town. The schoolyard's up and the shopping mall's down. That's the stray dogs go to the animal pound. That is Springfield, you're right. Um, uh, New York. You've said New York twice. You have, you have maximum yeah. points Florida. There's a Florida. Uh, Florida is not a city. No, but there is a St. Patrick's Cathedral in Florida. Are you sure? I'm speculating that there's a St. Patrick's Cathedral in Florida. Am I right? Well, I'm not telling you because you've got to tell me the city. I, you can't just name states. Because a lot yeah, of states have more than one. New York has two. You can't just say New York. New York does have two. Um, Florida. No, the, the diocese, JD. I want you know California. The, I believe the California is also of not a diocese. San, I believe the diocese of um, uh, either San Jose. In, uh, San Jose. I'm pretty sure the diocese of San Jose has the same bachelor's cathedral. You're incorrect. Oh, is it something like that? No. No, you know what it is? They used to have a bishop named Patrick McGrath. Mm. That's, That's what I was... fascinating trivia, but I've asked you for, for Catholic diocese with cathedrals named for... Texas? Victoria, Texas. Victoria, Texas? No. Yeah, the Diocese of Victoria. No. Okay. I, I'll help you along here. There are two Catholic um, cathedrals of St. Patrick in, in Texas, and if you can tell me the city stroke diocese for... Dallas. Dallas get... No. Fort Worth. Yes. Yeah, the cowboy town. You've got three. 
Okay. Um, Three that's of a possible be nine. Missouri? Is that a diocese? <laughs> no. Uh, it's, not, it's not St. Louis because St. Louis is the Cathedral of St. Louis, Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. So it's, I will um, give you – look, I'm going to throw you a bone here. Um, there's a co-cathedral and a pro-cathedral on the board, and there are one, two, three, four current diocesan cathedrals still on the board for you. Texas? That's – Got to give me the rest of them, man. I'm not going to get this. All right. El Paso. El Paso, of course. That makes perfect sense. Harrisburg, PA. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that one. Charlotte, North Carolina. I knew there was a North Carolina in there. I knew it. I just couldn't remember. I didn't think it was Raleigh because Raleigh got a new cathedral. Oh, I knew there was a North Carolina in there. Come on. Give me that one. There's I knew a, it. No. <laughs> there's a pro There's a pro cathedral of St. Patrick in Newark, New Jersey. Really? Yes. Your hometown. I thought you would have got that one for sure. Uh, there is a co-cathedral of St. Patrick in Billings, Montana. Mm. And there is the Cathedral of St. Patrick, of course, in Norwich, Connecticut. Uh. So you got three for nine there. You know about my minor league baseball team in Billings? I do. Okay, go ahead. I love, I, I love minor league baseball teams from, yeah. from Montana. Okay, uh, J.D., you are often um, a, a proud, quote-unquote, Irish-American. Uh, I mean, I've the, seen The Departed a couple of times. When did the first Irish immigrants to what is now the United States arrive? I will accept the nearest decade. 1650s? Oh, so close. In fact, it's a you, you've inverted it there. It's the 1560s. 1560s? No, really. 1560s in Spanish Florida. Really? How about that? Yeah, yeah. All right, Neil Poir there. Uh, all right, JD. Um, let's moving on from there. Let's let's see. St. Patrick's spoonerism, by the way. That's called spoonerism. Yeah, there's um, there is a there is a tradition in this country of St. Patrick's Day parades. Many many cities have them. The church is involved in many of them. Local dioceses get involved. I myself participated uh, in the St. Patrick's Day parade in in my hometown of Chicago, Illinois. In my youth, I was on a float on one occasion. Um, where, however, was the first recorded St. Patrick's Day parade in the world? I will give you, since you're, str- you're hurting for points here, I will, I will put two points on the board for you here. If you tell me where, and if you can tell me um, what century. Will you give me a continent? No, because if I give you a continent, I'm, you're making it way too easy for you. Liverpool. No. Dublin. No. Cardiff. No. I, I continue to I continue to remind you. St. Patrick's Day is an American holiday. Probably Boston or some Bostony place like Boston or Providence or some other Boston. All right. Is that your final? Portland, answer? Maine. Portland, Maine. Maybe some kind of Boston. Give me a final answer for place, and then we'll move on, so you can give your answer for for year. New England. All right. You're saying New England. I will accept that as a geographical region. Um, and could you give me, I, I, you can give 1820s. me 1920s, 1920s, 1820s, 1820s. You say new England in the 1820s. You are wrong on both counts. The first recorded St. Patrick's day parade in history was in St. Augusta, Florida on 17th of March, 1601. This Florida thing's killing me. Yes. It was you organized it by me. the then Spanish colonies, Irish vicar, mm. one Ricardo Artur. Mm. Nice Irish name there. They have it. 
All right, JD, you have available. You have currently three points. You um, for the Trinity, St. Patrick, Catholic Clover. There you go. You have one, two, three, four, five, six points left available in this last round. Um, cities in the United States that dye their waters, stroke rivers, green on St. Patrick's Day. Chicago. Yes, Chicago is one. Rosemont. I was unaware there was a river in Rosemont or that Rosemont was a city, but this is not in my list. This is this this is... Chicago River goes right through it, so you got to give it to me. No, because they die the river in Chicago. Okay. The, Rosemont is not dying its river green. Chicago is dying its river green. You don't, think Rosemont's, getting, you don't think Rosemont's getting billed for the thing? It's Chicago, J.D. Whoever's being billed for it is on the take, and it's you know, getting <laughs> looped up, and an alderman's getting greased for it, and, you know, yeah, come on. Who are we Okay. Doing? Uh, how many are there? There are six available for you. You have Great. there are six cities, six other cities that dye their stuff green. As of 2019, which is the last year for which I could find Boston. a definitive list. Boston. No, surprisingly, San Francisco, no. Saint Augustine, Florida. No, but you're 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 finally <laughs> starting to think a little bit here. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Orlando. Uh, no, no. I'll make the, I'll put you out of your misery here. There is there is a there is a Florida city that does this. So you're you're not you're not hunting completely in the wrong direction. Epcot. No. Jacksonville. Miami? Tallahassee? Nope. Okay, you just gotta tell me now. Tampa. Tampa, the city that no one remembers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so excluding Tampa and Chicago, which you already have, you have four available left on the board. I can tell you that one of them is actually technically the first city to dye its river green, although as far as I can tell, although they enjoy that distinction and everyone acknowledges it, they, they did it in the same first year as someone else. So maybe they went a day early. That's all I can think. Um, but so there's... there's New the, York? Oh, no. Is there I a river think. in New York? Oh, I suppose the Hudson. All of no. the rivers. The East River, the Harlem River, yeah. the Bronx River. They, they're, they are not on what I found as the most authoritative list. San Angelo, Texas. No, but you're 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 you're, phenot- you're phonetically close. San Antonio, Texas. Yes, San Antonio, Texas. Well done. San Jose. Uh, no, but think of think of cities you didn't get that have a St. Patrick's Cathedral. That might help you. Charlotte. Yes, correct. Well done. You've got North Chicago, Carolina San Antonio, and Charlotte. Tampa's off the board because you gave up. Um, New York, so, New Jersey. No. The the six cities who dye their rivers, or in the case of one, their canal green, or at least oh, green. No, no, but I like where you went with the canal. Gowanus, the Gowanus Canal. You get no points for correctly naming the canal in the city. Um, no, but the downtown canal in Indianapolis is dyed green. Um, Savannah, Georgia, actually enjoys the distinction. Savannah is a big time Irish city, kind of. It is, and they are the first city apparently to have dyed their river green for St. Patrick's Day. Um, although it's, they didn't get a lot of credit for it apparently because the, the waters move so fast, you know, the Chicago river is kind of a lazy dump of a river and mm-hmm. apparently the, whatever river goes through Savannah, Savannah river Georgia, or whatever the Georgia is like, river. I think it's tidal and it just like whips it out. So it was the, for the first couple of times they tried to do it, it just, it just, the dye just like flushed out immediately. And it was, you know, it was a total headache. That's um, midnight in the garden of good and evil, my friend. Yeah, so, yeah, Savannah, Indianapolis, Tampa, Charlotte, San Antonio, Chicago. There was a bid 
um, on the internet to claim that DC counts because apparently under the Obama and Trump administration, we have to assume under the current fake is green beer um, presidential administration, they've continued this. They put green dye in the DC, uh, sorry, in the White House fountains, but that does not count. That is nonsense. That's not a river. That's rubbish. So, JD, at the end of this Saint, this torturous St. Patrick's Day uh, quiz, you have accumulated a total of six out of 17 available points. Um, you have won a, a Guinness, I guess. And okay. um, thank you for playing. I hope you well, enjoyed great, part of it. I hope I hope that our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope, <laughs> I hope they someone, enjoyed it rather more than you did. I hope that they enjoyed it as much as you did, very honestly. In any case, I uh, this has been a great episode, Ed. Good to be with you. Good to talk with you. Love your stories. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and Ed and JD Production. Our executive producer is the very talented Kate Oliveira. We'll be back next week to talk about the thing that Ed had hoped to talk about this week. I'm just surprised I haven't told you that story before. It's like my favorite, like canon lawyers get drinking. My favorite thing is like, here's a game for you. Let's count the ways my baptism was illicit. You know, it's funny because I thought that we had been uh, (laughs) together. Um, I thought that we had been doing this partnership for so long that I knew all of your stories. And the reason I thought that is because I've heard so many of them twice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like when we go out to dinner with someone and you start telling stories, maybe you have the same experience with me and you just haven't mentioned it. Now is an okay time to admit it. But, um, honey, I barely uh, listen to your stories. Right. Exactly. When you start (laughs) telling a story, I sort of know when it's going to be necessary for me to look for a look of shock on their face or amusement and for me to manifest the same look and to say, can you believe that? He's such a wild and crazy guy. Whatever. I know what you are. I know what's happening and I can sort of be thinking doing other things or (laughs) looking at the menu or whatever at the same time because I thought I had heard all your stories. But this is one that I haven't heard. And next time I hear it when we're out to dinner (laughs) or whatever, I'll pretend again never to have heard it. Um, well, if it, if it goes in this show, then everyone will know. I mean, yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. That's a good. So you're right. So you think that if you tell a story on the show, you'll never tell that story in another context because that's not my. No, I, I feel like everyone will say will will stop me because they've heard it before. Oh, see, no, au contraire, my good friend. Everybody likes. You, you see the movie, you want to see the play. You know what I mean. Everybody likes um, to see a, like. Mrs. Flynn and I are going on Wednesday uh, to see um, Fiddler on the Roof, which is a play that I, you know, a musical that I ha- you know, have I seen. I met Top Hall once. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, neat. It was cool. You know what? What? I did know that. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, that's the thing is we've been doing this for so long that I... But anyway, everybody likes to see a live version of, uh, you know, a live version of the, of the show, so... Um, so it will be the case that when we're with canon lawyers next or something like that, someone will say precisely, Ed, you were illicitly baptized. I can't believe it. And you'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, I was born in a snowstorm. And then you do the whole thing. And um, and I will respond appropriately. I can assure you of that. <laughs> I'm glad.